The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Coming up to 24 minutes to 8 o'clock, Ray in for Bruce tonight. Now in our Shapeshifter feature, Talking Toys with Roots. Have you ever got yourself into a situation, or perhaps when you were growing up, you were a little person, and you thought to yourself, I want an action man, I want a doll, and then you think you go and you buy yourself a Barbie or a Ken, because that's all that there really was in those days, and it's the, the, the doll doesn't look like you, it's the wrong color, it's the wrong everything, it just doesn't work. Well, a couple have got together. And they've kind of got stuck into the toy markets and uh, they've revolutionized things so that little people now can buy dolls and action men, etc., etc., that look just like them. On the line is Tabo Motsabi. He's a co-founder of Toys with Roots. Tabo, hi, good evening, and welcome to The Money Show. Uh, hi, good evening, Ray. Uh, thank you, and thank you to the listeners. So, right, okay, let's get into this. I watched your video this afternoon. I went to your website and I watched your video. Your, video. your other partner, that would be your wife, am I right? Yes, 100%. All right, tell us more because uh, Toys with Roots, how did that all start? So for us, it really started with a problem that we had in our own home. Um, at the time, our daughters were still seven and um, five, four years apart, seven and three. Um, And so they used to play with, um, you know, they had their own dolls at the time. And they used to um, put, you know, towels on their hair to pretend to, you know, to have the hair like their dolls if they were doing like the fashion show around the house, you know. Mm. And we we realized that, you know what, um, it's not right that our children feel that they need, you know, um, some sort of extension for them to be acceptable to their toys, which are, you know, sort of, um, figures of their imagination because they bring them to life in their own mind. But when they play in the world that they were playing with their toys, they had to assimilate and become like their toys. And so having had that problem, we thought, um, you know, it's important that we create or we find, it wasn't about creating a business, but it was about finding a solution for our own children that we, so that they can have toys that celebrate who they are. I'm going back to 1994, and there was change in this country. There was there was radical change, and the change that needed and, and and did happen in this country. But how did toys then change after that as well? Because all of a sudden there was diversity, there was inclusion, there was a brand new world. Did toys also get to the program, or did marketers were they just fast asleep? Um, yeah, I think because of where the country was at the time, everybody was looking at the high level issues. You know. Um, and and it's sort of everybody forgot the kids, I guess, you know, left the kids behind. And it's actually quite strange because Nelson Mandela during his presidency and after that, he was very much focused and centered around children. I mean, back in those days, Children's Day was a huge thing when Nelson Mandela was still around. So I'm not sure how in within the toy space that got left behind. But I think what, what did really happen is, um, it's sort of nobody, I think retailers were saying no one's complaining, so maybe we can coast by. And I think it did happen because we stepped into the market in about 2015 and it was still quite um, not diverse enough. So I think they had um, able to coast along um, with it. And, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But I, with the Afro um, consciousness that came about, you know, we had Black Panther, we had, you know, this Black Lives Matter, we had sort of a lot of... Um, self-actualization from um, African people. And I think that's when the attention started coming, you know, filtering all the way down to say, okay, which areas don't you have representation? And that's where I think the attention of toys also came across.
2015. That's like the other day. You would have thought that people would have woken up a long time ago. Don't you find that, that's strange, isn't it? It is. Actually, you know what happened when we started? We had found a lady who had created the Ndombenta dolls, and she had told us she created them in 2005 or something, 10 years before, you know, yeah. because she had a similar problem with her children. But I, I think she had challenges with access to market, and also I guess it was a different season, a different time. So by the time we stepped into the market, um, we looked at it differently. You know, a lot of people, as you know, might have been creating um, the black dolls as a product around the 2015 when we came about. But we looked at it, how do we create um, a business around this actual concept and this actual product? And I think that's how we were able then to 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 get market access and start to speak into retailers and start getting um, um major market attention right so let's go back to that so your wife sorry what is your wife's name i can't keep saying your wife what is, what is your wife's name <laughs> uh, Mpumi. Mpumi. so you and Mpumi decided at what point that you looked at each other and say all right our, our children are battling with us what what happened next you had an idea how did you formulate your idea so yeah i mean it was it was really um uh, i think uh we fell into it, you know, so we, we, we realized we had this problem. I mean, I realized when we had our first birthday party um, for my daughter, if you watch the video, you know, I say in that video that, you know, um, this doll looks like no one in our family. It was those princessy dolls, so that this um, white Barbie doll, and it had the princess dress, which is the cake, you know. Um, and I had an issue at that time, but it was nothing, it was, you know, I never thought of doing anything about it. It was just something I observed. And so when in 2015, um, we came across a lady who was selling brown dolls from the boot of a car. And my wife said, we, we have, with our two daughters, we bought two. And my wife said, you know what, I think um, I, I have friends who would actually be interested in, in a product like this. So it wasn't really a business. We bought 200, went on social media, we sold 200, we bought 1,000, sold 1,000, and then we said, wait a minute. Um, there's definitely something happening here. And I think it was just... Um, I don't know if it's, it's an idea whose time had come uh, because, you know, the media attention brought itself. Um, the, the, we, we didn't have to practice any form of, you know, marketing and the work that we put in now. You know, it was just um, some, an idea that we ran with and, and, and because the, it was the, the time was right, it just worked on out, out on its own. And so from there, we then had to formulate a plan and, and then, uh, you know, sort of formalize the business itself and start thinking strategically about branding um, so that there's a longevity of this thing and it's not just a fad. Yeah. All right, let me ask a very innocent question. How do you make a doll? I mean, who makes them for you? What's the process? So, um, you know, making dolls is, is, is quite an interesting um, uh, process because it, it really begins with design. And, you know, I think what made us and what made us stand out once we started realizing um, the importance of design, because if you looked at retailers, um, at some time you'd seen there'd been brown dolls on the shelves and a lot of people would complain to say, you know what, these don't look like us or why do they, you know, look so uh, ugly or whatever the, the words they, they decide to term it. And, uh, and what, what I realized is that a lot of retailers um, having sort of some sort of conscious that, okay, there needs to be some sort of representation, but it's not something that we need to, you know, put at the forefront. What they had done is picked up something from the shelf, you know, um, from from overseas, from China, um, you know, bring it through and put it on the shelf. And the challenge with that is 
because, I mean, if you and I really would agree to say we might have an unconscious bias, you know, or prejudice against, let's say, Asian people, you know, we might sure. say they all look the same, you know, you slant the eyes and you make the color a certain way, that's Asian, because we don't necessarily appreciate their nuance and their beauty, you know, because of of our background and the people we are used to. Mm-hmm. And I think from that side, what was happening on, on, on the Chinese factory floors, you know, they said, okay, we're making an African doll, just make a big nose, brown skin, don't care about the shade and put it down and, and put it through. And when we receive it, because we understand the new ones and we can appreciate the difference between, you know, Tandi and Lerato, um, you can then see when there's no attention paid for. And that's why you then receive it. This doesn't look like me, even if the shade is the same. And so what we were then able to do, because we are, you know, South Africans, we live here, um, we, we then are able to, uh, to appreciate, you know, the simplicity and the differences that make us different and the nuances that make us beautiful. And so it really begins at design level. And we then began, that's when we started growing our team, getting a peop, um, some freelance um, graphic designers and illustrators. And we start with that process. And from there, you start from 2D, which is sometimes drawings, then we move to 3D, which is computer generated. And then we go to 4D, which is the actual process before they actually do the first um, production of the doll, you know, which is the process it will look like. Because of the cost of, you know, just producing one doll, you try to make sure that at design level, um, as at the highest level as possible, you can get it as close to what the product is supposed to look like. Mm. And then the process um, uh, begins from there of production. It's so interesting because... Have you perhaps, your daughters, your children, have you perhaps made a doll that looks like them? Because secretly, we are proud parents and we like to do these kind of things. Secretly, we'd like to make this little creation on our own. Have you done that? Have you designed a doll after somebody that you know because you thought, that person's just cute? Um, actually, we have thought of that when we when we're creating our Rainbow Kids range. Um, we thought of doing it after one of our one of our daughters, but um, you know we've got two daughters, and the eldest one was like, "No, but why don't you do it after me?" And because of those <laughs> politics of siblings, we thought, yeah. "Okay, maybe let's steer a bit away from that." But I mean, we had an entrepreneur who, time, so we used to represent her doll as well, um, because we we then you know we pivoted our business to to work as um, as a toy agent, if you can say that, for, for, for retailers to represent other entrepreneurs who are in the same space um, and, and have their dolls also in the retail um, chain stores. Um, and she had created her doll, you know, um, after her niece, I think she had said. And so you do find that, you know, I think it's also the... I think when you're beginning and a lot of times it's the lower hanging fruit because you're also thinking, you know, copyright, you know, if I just take my daughter, it's safe. Nobody's going to say this looks like anybody else. Um, but yeah, we, there is this pride of creating something, you know, uh, of your own or something after your own little children. So you can tell the story, you know, to say this is after um, my own child creation. But our challenge was the conflict between our daughters led us to say, okay, let's just create something new that nobody feels anybody's a favorite of mom or dad. Yeah, so it's a good parenting there, Tabo. Good parenting. <laughs> You've got to do that once in a while. Now, you haven't only made dolls, have you? There's all sorts of music and books involved as well. Yeah, so, you know, when we started, obviously, uh, Toys with Roots as a company, our purpose was to create a destination platform for toys and things that intentionally celebrate African children, right? So because our view was that um, 
we think that children need to identify with as well as see themselves and their greatness in the songs they sing, books they read, um, toys they engage with, as well as media they consume. And we thought, okay, this through play that they can learn these important concepts about themselves and the world. So when we then began with toys, we also asked ourselves, okay, if our vision is really um, celebrating African children, how else could we do this? That's when we started looking at other avenues. So we then looked at books um, that are representative. So the characters are centered around African children or the stories are in African um, you know, languages. But we didn't want to go for translation. So you couldn't do Snow White and Sutra and say it's an African story, you know, because the children can't relate to that. So it really had to be centered around um, Africanness and, and our context and our perspective. And then we further went on to say, um, you know, how else could we penetrate this market and just get make sure that we reach the kids? Because kids, uh, you know, you need to meet kids at their point of contact. You know, you can't expect them to rise up to consciousness. So you need to come mm-hmm. to them and, and bring the type of content that you want to reach them. So we then created an album called Songs with Lali, which is really a children's album. It was really about capturing um, uh, the nursery rhymes, South African nursery rhymes that we had grown up singing, you know. Um, and what we found was rather strange is that it was more of the parents who were more into the music because I think for them it was a nostalgic step back into when they grew up and they want to pass on, you know, this tradition to their children. And we find because we live in Joburg, a lot of the urban parents as well are finding a, a um, a loss of that culture, you know, and they feel, I mean, our kids go to, um, at times, you know, private schools or Model C schools, um, and so they don't necessarily interact with our culture the way that we used to do in yeah. with nursery rhymes and, and all that. And so you find that um, we, we are then creating tools that assist parents to, to raise their children, to celebrate their children, to, and to raise them with the pride that they want them to have. Yeah, that's so difficult, isn't it? Because... You're right. It's a Western world. It's all about what you see on your cell phone and you do lose your culture. You do start to lose your identity. I would think that you have this, the, the, the support of a lot of parents. We, we do. I mean, I think there is sort of um, a, a wide awakening within, you know, South Africa of, you know, Afro-consciousness. I think, I think it's just a sense of belonging, you know, um, wanting to, to see yourself in, in, in the spaces. And I think when I look at the history of things such as um, you know, when we had things like roads must fall. And I don't think it's so much about statues and, and road statue itself. I think it's about the fact that I don't see, you know, me in that space. And, and, and because now, you know, understanding our mindset, we try to, to pull down what exists instead of raising up something new that could stand side by side or coexist. And so I think there is a big hunger for, from parents, a lot of parents for, for representation and, you know, and just affirmation to say, you know, you are, you are enough, you are good enough. And it's not just for children. We've had parents who've come to the markets, you know, pre-COVID that would buy a doll for herself. She said, you know, I never had something like this. And so it's time for me to love myself and just to have um, a, a toy that represents me. So I think our mission, though we're looking at children, I think it's, it's, it's way deeper than that. And it speaks to across, you know, um, representation across uh, our country and just the desire of of all South Africans for this Mm. rainbow nation to say, I need to see myself um, represented everywhere. Yeah, quite right, quite right. Now, I was also reading up about you and ShopRite got involved with you. What has been the involvement of of, of corporate? Once you had your product, you were ready to market. What happened next? 
So, you know, it, it's, it's quite a story. So in, in 2017, um, I mean, both my wife and I used to work full-time, and um, we started the business in 2015, and 2017, the felt was growing very slowly. And we thought, okay, we want to grow the business a bit further. So, you know, the big scary goal now, let's get into retail. The challenge with, the, with, with starting a business as a side hustle is that everybody else you need to do business with is actually doing their full-time job. So the buyer is there nine to five, you doing side hustle between, between five and 10 in the evening. So you've got this clash of, you know, conflict of time. So we had a conversation with my wife to say, okay, one of us is going to have to go full-time. And because at that time she earned way more, it was best then to say, okay, I will go full-time and run the business on our behalf. And the first thing we did then was to say, let's look at how we can go into retail. So when we started Toys with Roots, the whole idea was to compete with the retailers. So we wanted to go against Toys R Us and Hemleys and wanted to be the next big thing. And then you learn very quickly that retail is a very difficult business. (laughs) So then I I said to my, you know what? When we were growing up, we used to have a sasol pump at every filling station. Remember, we used to have, we could pour sasol at BP, yeah. pour sasol at Shell or whatever. So I said, maybe then let's do the sasol strategy. Let's then put toys with roots in every retail store. So we then began approaching the Hemleys and Toys R Us. They look, this is what we have. This is the catalog we have. Could we then list with you guys, you know, and we learned the retail business there. And the next, the first people we approached before Toys R Us and Hems was ShopRite. But at that time, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and so it took us a whole year later for us to grow and understand that we needed to do business at their level. And I think that's a, a challenge that many small businesses or entrepreneurs starting off um, have is that you want to come to the retailers um, at your level. And retailers are like, no. We don't sell $10 or $100. You know, I remember ShopRite said we sell we're interested in selling hundreds of thousands. This is the numbers that we, we are doing, and this is the level that you need to think with. And so they really um, held our hand. I mean, once we we went to the first meeting, um, it didn't work out. A year later, um, I realized when we went short, I set up another meeting, and we then covered all those things, the areas where we thought we lacked. We said, look, the best way that you could help us, you would need to give us the money. We would come with the design. We would do this. We would do this because this is where we fall short. And um, funny enough, you know, they played game. Um, uh, I, I don't know if it's strange, but because I've never requested it and been rejected, but um, we just didn't think it'd be accepted. They accepted. They said, look, we can work with you. Uh, you know, we, we, you, we, we own the brand, we own the intellectual property, we own this, but then the agreement was to create a house brand for them, which was mm-hmm. a fair trade because, you know, ShopRite is across all African countries, so you can find our dolls in Nigeria, uh, we've had people from there contact us, and, and so it's been really quite a journey, you know, walking this retail um, journey, and we're still learning a lot. We're still trying to get lifted in more places, but um, we've had quite some great successes. Do you have competition? It sounds like you have cornered the market all on your own. Um, yeah, you know, when we started, there were other brands that existed. You know, we had, um, at that time, I think Mombimbop was big. There was Malaville. There was, you know, and we used to sell those brands before we created our own, actually. So we used to, because remember, we wanted to be the retailer, now we wanted to be the, um, the one competing with the other toy retailers. So we, we got everybody on board, Masha and everybody who was creating black dolls or product that celebrated African children, which is books and the likes. We created a marketplace for them. And once we then pivoted to say, no, we don't want to compete directly. Let's get into the retailers. Um, we then uh, we took those guys that were 
you know, sort of our allies, but also competing with because we had other and our own brand within the mix, and we represented it to the retailer. And and it's just a, it's, a, it's a tough space, you know, the consumer goods space and the toy space is not a uh, it's 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 not an easy space as one might think, uh, especially when you're playing in the area of dolls and things that you're competing with brands that are on TV every day. You know, these are brands that have content and are watched by children every day. So when you sit on a shelf and the child has to choose between, you know, a Lally doll, a Rainbow Kid doll mm-hmm. or a Barbie doll, um, you know, the brand, the kids aren't necessarily saying this is a South African one or whatever, you know, so so that's where brand speaks. Um, and so we, we, we have had competition, but a lot of the small entrepreneurs, um, because of the difficult terrain and the challenges um, have, have, have fallen off. Um, and so we are then, you know, looking at saying how, and obviously we have the traditional competition with, with the big Mattel brands, you know, also yeah, creating yeah. diverse ranges within them. But um, yeah, I, I think in terms of what we do and where we want to go, where we want to go with it, we, we really have a nice niche because our focus is creating toys and content that's centered around Africa and for Africans. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's very different from importing an African-American doll and putting in the space no, of sure. African-American product and putting it so, here and creating something from the ground. Top, we're running out of time. Just very quickly, tell us where people can buy your dolls. What can they do? Because many people are interested. Uh, I can see a few SMSs coming through. What can they do? So, I mean, you can visit us at toyswithroots.co.za. On social media, our handles as well are at toyswithroots. Um, We're also available. I mean, we've got our brand is Rainbow Kids. Uh, We've got a Rainbow Kids brand, which is available at all ShopRite stores and checker stores. We've got, um, you know, which is the three dolls. We've got puzzles. Um, we've got a ball, we've got doll and stroller of the Rainbow Kids, but we also have um, another brand which is uh, Lali, L-A-L-I, um, which is then where we, the, the brand that we created the songs with, songs with Lali, available on iTunes, um, available on you know all digital music platforms. Mm. But our Lali dolls are also available at um, retailers like Toys R Us and selected spas um, around the around the country. Fantastic. Well done and congratulations, co-founder of Toys with Roots, Tabo and Mpumi. Because I know that Mpumi is listening tonight. I just feel that she's listening tonight. So Tabo and Mpumi Motsabi, thank you so much for coming on to The Money Show. And thank you for having us. We appreciate it.